Good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Uh, before uh, I get started this morning, just want to uh, tell you this past week that we launched this uh, new website, and it kind of looks like this. And um, I just want to make you aware of a few features on it that you might want to uh, tap into. Like, for example, if you go to the resource uh, button, uh, you can get the bulletin on your phone now. Okay, so that's a resource that you could do. You can take notes uh, on your phone or your tablet or whatever it is that you have uh, with you. And so uh, those are a few of the new features that are coming out. We're going to roll out some more uh, new features and just the way we communicate with you and the way you can interact uh, with us and uh, on the website. So anyway, go check it out. Put it on your phone and and uh, comes up uh, really well on your phone or tablet or computer and so... Um, just wanted to, to, to let you know about that. Well, it's great to see you uh, this morning. Uh, as you know, we're in week two of our series uh, called Loving Our Neighbors. And today's message uh, is entitled, How to Be Filled with God's Love. And so if we're going to love our neighbors well, uh, then we need God's love in us uh, so we can do that effectively. And so you probably know this, but the primary difference between Christianity and and most other religions can be described in this one word, love, right? Really, no other religion puts the same emphasis on loving others and loving God as Christianity does. Jesus, in fact, said in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? If you have love for one another. So, so everything we do in the Christian life is to be motiv- motivated by love, right? Love for God, love for others. And so we talked about this concept in some of these verses last week. I just want to remind you and read these passages again in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Christianity's uniqueness is seen especially uh, in the teachings of Jesus, right? And especially in this idea, this concept of loving our enemies. And again, we see this in the Sermon on the Mount series that we just finished, right? You'll remember Matthew 5. You have heard it that, that it was said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Right? And so love is what makes Christianity unique. It's the one thing that everybody knows that we're probably supposed to do. And I get it that, that at times it is hard, right? It is rough. To love others. I think if you did a kind of a word on the street kind of thing and you asked any non-Christian what's the one thing that Christians are supposed to do, they're going to say what? Love others. And sometimes I think the reason why we allow ourselves to become sidetracked with secondary issues within the Christian subculture, things like the authorship of Hebrews or, or the style of worship or whether or not Jesus would drive an SUV or a Honda Accord, you know he drove a Honda Accord, right? 
because they came in one, they all came in one accord. It's biblical. Right? Right, we, we do that because it's easier, I think, to debate than it is to love. When, when we planted this church 15 years ago, all I heard was if you're going to be a successful church planner, you had to be an entrepreneur, you had to be organized, you had to be efficient, you have to manage your time well, and you have to be an amazing preacher. 15 years later, 27 years in the ministry, do you know what I would say if I were asked that question today? I would say success is how you love people. All that other stuff is fine and dandy. And if you do those things, you'll probably have a large church. Not, not, nothing wrong with that. But loving people will make a difference in their lives, not only now, for, but for all eternity. And that doesn't just apply to pastors. It applies to you as well. If we're going to make a difference in the lives of people, then we have to do it by what? We have to love them well. Now, now I want to remind you, I talked briefly last week about this, but love is primarily an action and not a feeling, right? It's something that you do, and and culture tells us the opposite. Culture says that when when you fall in love, it makes you feel good, and and that's true, right? There's some truth to that, no question, It, it does do that, and when you're in a loving relationship with your spouse and kids and etc., uh, that it does make you feel good. But you know what? There is more to it than just that. And our goal for today is not just to feel love. Our goal is to show love to our neighbors, our friends, our family, our spouse, and even, even to, to our enemies. And some of you might be thinking right now, the problem is I don't even like people, and now you're telling me i got to love them? <laughs> well, like, seriously? So, so we're going to talk about how you can, can, can do that. Go, go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program. You can follow along with me. Take your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 John 4. That's where we'll be today. And I just want to talk to you today about how to become a more loving person. So, like, if you're, like, on a two on the love meter, right, and you, you just go to a three today, that would be awesome, right? We're, we're just going to talk about how we can be, become a more loving person. And here's what uh, we're going to focus on today. So the first one is this. In order to love others, we must know what love is, right? We have to understand God's love. And in 1 John 4, the apostle talks about what it means to love. And he makes it pretty clear. The real proof of love is what God has done for us. And these verses help us understand what love really is. And the first thing we see is that love will sacrifice to make things right. For 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, now that word propitiation carries the idea of a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God, right? It rightly regards us apart from him as worthy targets of his judgment. Right? We... We are rebels and enemies of him. And even if we didn't know it, but on the cross, Jesus took the punishment of our sin that we deserved. His sacrifice turned away the judgment that we would have received. 
And we easily think about how this shows the love of Jesus. But what John wants us to understand here is it also shows the love of God, the Father, and what he has for us, that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And what we learn here is that love involves sacrifice. It's the heart of the gospel, right? We were separated from God by our sins and we were completely unable to save ourselves. And so God sent his son to atone for our sins, to die for our sins so we can be forgiven. So we can be what? Right with God. That's how great his love is for us. He's willing to make such a sacrifice in order to restore Our relationship with him. And if we want to love, the question is, are we willing to sacrifice in order to make things right? So so sometimes we have to sacrifice to make things right in our marriages. Or sometimes we have to sacrifice to make things right with our kids, right? In order to make our families right. And I want to emphasize this morning that phrase to make things right clause, right? And love involves sacrifice, but it's not sacrifice merely for the sake of sacrifice. It's not sacrifice because, you know, the other person or the other family members are, are, are everything and you're nothing. Or what they want matters more than what you want. That's not what this is about. This is not about sacrificing and, being, and playing the role of a martyr. That this is sacrifice for the good of the relationship. It's sacrifice in order to make things right. And love is about sacrifice. And if we want to be filled with God's love, be prepared to sacrifice for the benefit of others. The the second thing to know about love is is that love empowers others to do what's right. Verse 9. I'm going to be all over the place in chapter 4. So verse 9 in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Right? So his love demonstrates to us in the fact that he sent his son so that we might have life. So, so his love is for our benefit. It strengthens us to the extent that we are able to, to, to love others. And we should love people in a way that, what, builds them up, in a way that empowers them, in a way that gives them life. Just like God's love for us gives us strength to live. Our love for others, differently, of course, but it should inspire others to live a holy life. And then there's a third thing about love is that love replaces fear with security. Verse Drop down to verses 17 and 18. By this... Is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment? Because as he is so also we are in in this world, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever uh, fears has not been perfected in love. And so what John is driving at here is that a relationship with God is a love relationship, not a fear-based one. Right? He says love has been perfected. And so John doesn't use the Greek word here, which has the idea of maturity and completeness. No, he writes the word, speaking of love, that is perfectly perfected or completely complete. And what for? For the day of judgment. 
This is when the completeness of love's work in us will be demonstrated. As much as we can know the completeness of God's love now, right? We know that, or we'll know it all the more on the day of judgment. Like you may be aware that you're a sinner now. I may be aware that I'm a sinner now, but we're really going to know it in the day of judgment, right? You may know the reality of hell now, but you're really going to know it on the day of judgment. You may know the greatness of Jesus' salvation now, but you're really going to know it the day of judgment. Then he says, so that we might have confidence or boldness in the day of judgment. So, so this shows the greatness of God's work in us. And we might be satisfied to merely survive the day of judgment, but God wants to fill our lives with his love and his truth so that we can have what? Boldness and confidence in the day of judgment. The Bible says that one day all of humanity is going to gather before God's great white throne and face this judgment. That day is coming. Realize this morning that the day of judgment is on God's calendar. Some people think that they're going to go there and judge God like, like I'm going to go tell God a thing or two when I see him, right? I'm like, that's like utter nonsense, right? How, how can anybody have that kind of boldness? We, we can imagine Jesus being bold before the throne, but us? The only way that we can have boldness in the day of judgment is to receive and to walk in the transforming love of God today. And then he says there's no fear in love. And the completeness of love means that we don't cower in fear before God, dreading his judgment, either now or at the day of judgment. We know that all the judgment that we ever have deserved, past, present, and future, was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. What, what about the many passages of Scripture, Old and New Testament, such as Ecclesiastes 12.13 or 1 Peter 2.17? You probably know this verse in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And these passages tell us that we should fear God. But that fear, see, is a different kind of fear than what John writes about. That kind of fear is this holy respect, if you will, of what the psalmist is, is trying to say, say here. But rather, the kind of fear that John is talking about in, involves this, this torment and agonizing kind of fear which robs our soul of joy before God. It, it, it is the fear that is opposite of boldness and confidence in the day of judgment. And then he says this, but he who fears has not made, been made perfect in love. If our relationship with God is marked by this tormenting fear that we fear him it shows that we've not been made perfect that is complete and mature in his love so in order to be filled with god's love we have to know what love is what it looks like and then secondly in order to love others we must experience god's love firsthand to give god's love we must first receive his love john puts it this way in verse 7 beloved let, let, let us love one another For our love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Notice that phrase, has been. Go ahead and write that down in your note. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's a simple fact. If you've experienced God's love firsthand, then you share God's love with others. 
right? If you've never received God's love, you simply don't have it in you to love others. Listen again to what John wrote, verse 19. We love because what? He first loved us. That's where our ability comes from, his love for us. And in this statement, John begins by declaring the heart of every true follower of Christ. Simply and boldly put, we love him. Right? This is a fact for every true follower of Christ. There's no exception to the rule. If we don't love God, then we're not born of God. It's like fire without heat. Right? Regeneration has to produce this love towards God. It is something that every Christian should be unafraid to proclaim. Right? I love him. I love Jesus. I mean, we should be able to proclaim that. We should not be embarrassed by that. We should be able to boldly proclaim, I love Jesus Christ. I can't imagine anyone saying, I love Christ, but I don't want anybody else to know that I love him. Right? Because they might laugh at me or they might put me down or whatever that might be. And in fact, I love the fact that Pastor Barry, when he prays, a lot of the times he ends his prayer with this proclamation of love for Jesus. Right? We love him because what? He first loved us. And this verse not only declares our love for Jesus, but it also tells us when he loved us. Some people think that Jesus loved us because he knew we would love him and come to faith in him. But reality is, is that he loved us even before that, even before the world was created. When our only existence was in the mind and the heart of God, Jesus loved us. He, he loved us when we were still sinners. Jesus loved you when you lived carelessly. That's not the right word there. <laughs> but you get the point. Right? When, when, when you neglected his word. When, when, when you failed to spend time in prayer. He, he loved you when, when you couldn't have been any worse or farther from him than, than you were at that moment. This verse tells us where, where our love for Jesus comes from. Right? It comes from him. Our, our love for God is always in response to his love for us. He, he initiates and we respond. We never have to draw God to us. Instead, what? He draws us to himself. The verse tells us why we love Jesus and how we can love him more. Do not let the devil tempt you to believe that God does not love you because your love for him is weak. Maybe you're here today and you're stressed out because you're like, I don't love Christ as much as I should. What you need to do is you need to forget about what we owe our our love to him and think about his great love for you. And and then your love will be something more in line of what you want it to be. Always remember, we never make ourselves love Christ by beating ourselves up for not loving him more. Right? We love Christ better by what? Knowing him better. Right? If you want to love Christ more, think more of him. Spend more time in prayer. Read your Bible more. Meditate on what Christ has done for you. And remember, there's only one way to experience Christ's love for us, and it's through the free gift of his grace. God's love is something that you will never, ever, ever earn or deserve. 
And it's available only in one format as a free gift. Never as a, a payback for your goodness. Never as a reward for your hard work. Only as a gift. Paul said this about the free gift of God. And in this very familiar passage that you probably all know. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may bust. So, so realize today that God loves you so much that he sacrificed his son in, in order to make things right, in order to offer you forgiveness of sin. And God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world so that you might have the power to live through him. And God loved you so much that he has removed all fear of judgment and condemnation. And he's given you the kind of love that cast out all fear. Right? The Apostle Paul nails it in Romans 8.1 when he wrote, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So, so in order to be filled with God's love, we need to understand it. We need to receive it. And then thirdly, we must show God's love to others. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So, so his love is made complete in us when we show love to others, right? The more we show his love, the more we grow in his love. And so how do we do that? How uh, do we do that? We do that the way Jesus has done it for us, right? We sacrifice to make things right with others. And we do that so we can empower others to, to live right. We, we, we help them. We build relationships with others, not based on fear, but based on security, I heard this story of a guy who told his whole family. He, he got his wife and his kids, everybody together. And this is what he said to his family. He said, look, we are on the brink of divorce here. And if you don't do this list of my demands, then, then I'm going to walk out the door. Now, now, I can't imagine saying, saying that to my wife. But I really couldn't imagine saying that to my children. Right? The insecurity that, that, that they must have felt. Imagine, imagine what it would be like if God said that to us. You know, unless you do A, B, and C. And instead, when God saw that we were lost and dying without him, what does he do? He sends his son to die on, on the cross, and God loves us so much that he wipes away our sins. He wipes away our fear of judgment. He wipes away our fear of abandonment. And he makes this promise to us in Hebrews 13, 5, the last part of the verse where it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right, right? It's the same promise that he made to Joshua, and I believe it belongs to all believers. God will not leave us in the hands of our enemies or leave us in distress, as was the case for Joshua. And when we offer pleasing sacrifices to God, like in Hebrews 13, God says he will never leave us or forsake us. Want to be filled with God's love? You've got to know God's love and experience it, and then you show it. 1 John 4, 16, so we've become to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And it is the Christian who has that kind of relationship with God that, that will be immersed in his love. It becomes our environment, our place of abiding and enduring and remaining in, in, in the arms of a loving God. 
Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you for uh, your word today. And God, how we marvel at your love for us. In that, while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. Father, it staggers my imagination to to realize that, that when I was cold and I was rebellious towards you, that you laid out this plan of redemption. So, so that guilty sinners could be, could be declared righteous through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who died on a cross for us. Paid the price for our sin with his blood. I want to thank you this morning for your grace and your mercy. And God, may we be a people that would extend that grace and mercy as we attempt to love others and to love our neighbors well. May we exhibit your unchanging and unconditional love towards those we come in contact with. God, would you help me just to come to a a deeper understanding of what your love really means so that I can live it, so that I can explain it, and, and I can show it. God, I pray that you would give us opportunity this next week to do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.